You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network, with Van Burnett and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 62. Got myself, Van Burnett, joined as always by Steve Giswelli. Just the two of us today, Steve, and we got a fun, kind of old faithful show here. Reminds me of some of the stuff we were doing last season. Talking second half bounce backs and not necessarily names we would etch in stone as a blanket statement that these guys will bounce back, but going to be breaking down if they could, what our thoughts are. We've talked a lot lately about StatCast. We'll kind of take that into consideration, but with a grain of salt and just look at uh, the big picture for a handful of hitters and a few pitchers as well, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Steve, uh, I told you offline I'm kind of in the the fried chicken food coma from a little uh, traveling family in town here in central Illinois. It's a little back backwoods country dinner. How's it going uh, out there on the shore, man? Good, man. Yeah, just got down uh, the Jersey Shore for the next week and a half. So a, a similar, uh, you know, although slightly different vibe, you know, laid back, maybe not uh, full or... <laughs> Uh, you know, in a food coma, but you know, in like a, a semi vacation mode, I'll be I'll be working from here for the most part. So uh, yeah, what are you doing there? Are uh, they just is this a pass the baby around uh, like family? Yeah, gathering or? Uh, no, no. Like uh, we we've been here with the baby so far, uh, um, but you know, it, it being Fourth of July weekend coming up and everything, there'll, there'll be some more people in and out. Uh, you know, still trying to be relatively careful with you know everything going on still and sure. you know more just not wanting the baby to get sick just because she's still so young but um yeah uh yeah we'll we'll be here watching some baseball i got a uh, otani versus the white Sox on my screen right now and, and you know do some podcasts from here so so it's great doesn't much get get much better than uh Fourth of July uh, at the Jersey Shore. If uh, if you're from the area around here, so no, I got uh, my uh, I got great. my Will Smith just just went yard notification. Freddie Freeman also on my my home league, so I got the back to back there, dude. What's did you see the Freddie Freeman stuff? Uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting, and and I I think it's kind of been the takeaway, and and what my take sort of has been is that like. How do you feel like well, like the, the Dodgers can't be happy about this? Like, no, it's he's bad basically, PR. For, it's bad yeah, PR for that. Yeah, it's sure. it, it just it's just seemingly like I know it, it's he didn't come out and say it, but you basically it seems like he does not want to be there because of this. Like, I, I know it's like a, a secondary takeaway, and you know if you'd ask him, it, he wouldn't say that at all. And I'm sure it's not that bad, but still, like, I, I don't know. It, that's a that, that's just a strange thing and. You know, my buddy joked, uh, Rich, uh, you know, you've, you've talked to him on Twitter like uh, a bunch. Um, Love Rich. That, that, that the, the, Bra- the Braves should trade for him back. Uh, and like, I was like, that'd be hilarious. He's like, I'm serious. I'm like, you know, actually it might not be that crazy of an idea. Like I know uh, Olsen's younger, so maybe the Dodgers would have to give something back with that. But, you know, uh, I, I don't know. It, that's just a strange, strange thing to come out. Never, I've never... You know, like I, it's can very, you think of dude, some, it's very yeah, NBA. Like, you, it reminds me of the NBA where players start it's not to even like, like demanding trades, right? But th- this is almost like like 
he has like buyer's remorse for where what he did, you know, like it's, well, the, it's just crazy. I mean, the fact that the agent didn't tell him about the final offer and all this stuff, uh-huh, it's just like, uh-huh. yeah, he he should not be working with any other player right now. I mean, I I, I guess from some of the stuff and, well, I read, Swan, it's not he's, he's, Swanson, of, he's like, Swanson's agent, and, and Swanson was like, yeah, like I love, like I'm I'm not changing at all. So it, it, it's. There needs to be like a you know an e reality show on all this you know like how they have like uh, you know the, to bring in a WWE reference they do like you know the WWE uh, you know uh, Miss Mr and Ms like or you know WWE <laughs> Divas show on e like with all the drama in the background like that's what this is this is kind of reminiscent of it's just it's just crazy it's uh, I, I've never seen anything like this well yeah no question it was. Uh... <laughs> always kind of a, a love affair for Freddie Freeman and the Braves and for good reason. But uh, since we talked about it, yeah, Casey Close, his agent never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves final offer. Um, and ultimately the Braves had put a deal out. Freddie would have taken the ATL deal if he n- had known about it. So yeah, stay tuned, grab the popcorn, but that was pretty crazy. But otherwise, yeah, Steve, I'm having a great little, uh, you know, midsummer fantasy stretch here i went to a brewers game on sunday saw rowdy telez hit two bombs that were category swingers for me so i was like leading the chance even up even though i'm a cardinals fan <laughs> so yeah it's it's fun times man uh i'm really pumped up about this show so assessing second half bounce backs this is one that going into the the waff archives last year we kind of had these seven or second half bounce back predictions and of course, some of them hit, some of them miss. But when you look at the names and think about where their seasons ended up, it really does remind you like how young we are into the season. And I know for most, you know, head-to-head leagues with playoffs, we're pretty much, you know, at the halfway point or beyond it. So that's that's kind of why we wanted to do this show. But last year, some of the head scratcher names we were talking about included Paul Goldschmidt, Pete Alonso. Julio Arias, Max Freed, Luis Castillo, those are the ones that kind of turned out to be good second half bounce backs, which is crazy again to think that they needed to bounce back. But then there are also names like Kenta Maeda, Keston Hira. So really you can, you know, obviously the tale of two season time will tell on 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 this show's rundown, but I think it's a great topic. I think we're kind of at that point in the season where we've talked about it. It's not like there's as many must-add people uh, on the wires and on fab budgets. So there's a little bit of that, you know, people moving on and giving up hope on on some of these names. But I think it's a, a fun show rundown, a chance for us to do some player analysis and talk about some names that are, are pretty rostered um, but might be trade targets or also kind of, uh, you know, in shallower leagues or, or leagues outside of industry leagues, NFBC, some of these guys are pretty available where you could p- potentially add them. So super pumped. What are your thoughts uh, overall about the assessing second half bounce backs? Yeah, I love it. Um, glad we did it last year. And I think the biggest takeaway from that great intro that you just had for this topic is that like you, you would forget that like Goldie needed that, not needed, but he was pretty below average the first two months. Like I remember, I actually traded him for uh, uh, Julio Rios uh, last year, and I, I, looking back on it, I kind of wish I didn't. You know, uh, as great as Rios was, Goldie was like a, a league-winning first baseman in the second half. So, like, you forget that 
you know, when you look at the full season around lines, it's like, oh, Goldschmidt had another, you know, where he had his great year after the adjustment year in, in, in St. Louis. Um, but you forget how kind of mediocre and meh the uh, April and May were for him. So uh, there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of interesting names we talk about. And, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good hit list for, for those guys. Like Freed, uh, Castillo is... If you bought those pitchers around this time last year, you did really, really well. So uh, hopefully we can find some guys and talk about some guys uh, like that this year. Love it, man. Well, for everybody joining us, we appreciate you joining. We'll, we'll jump in in a second, but be sure to go out, guys. Uh, follow us on Twitter at WindsAbovePod. I'm at Van underscore Verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. And throw us a review. This time of season's kind of... Uh, you know, if you're here with us, we appreciate it because we know, you know, we're past draft season and we feel like we're part of your week. So love that. Give us a give us a rating if you could. Uh, all that stuff super helpful. And of course, uh, check out all the the pitcherless pods at pitcherless pods. Uh, the great tools out there across the entire lineup. Um, I think I mentioned it to you, Steve. The uh, next week I'll be joining. Adam Howe on uh, uh, and Kevin Hastings on the wire. That'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, go out there, guys. Give us a, a like, a subscribe. We would really appreciate it. And that kind of segues because you can always email us questions or reach out on Twitter. Steve, do you want to introduce our listener question we had uh, over the past week? Yeah, this was a, this was a good one. This was from uh, Sal on Twitter. Um, he wrote in. Fellas, hey, hope all is well. Love the, love the trade pod. Question for you too. How do you ultimately decide to punt slash trade a guy? My example is Morton. He finally turned it around, or seems so, 40, uh, 40 strikeouts since the last 25 inning pitch. So I'm glad I'm held, but I'd love to hear how you guys make that decision to buy, sell, hold when a guy struggles out of the gate. I could have traded him for pennies, and now I could probably get close to full value, but maybe he's going to completely normalize his numbers and have a great second half. I'll hang up and listen. Uh, nice little uh, Mike Francesa reference there from Sal. Always appreciate that. A great way to, uh, uh, you know, uh, make you first on the rundown uh, in my book. But I think that's a great question because there is like that conundrum. It's like, okay, like this guy is clearly underperforming. I could try to get whatever I can get for him now and salvage it. Or I, I could hold and help hope that he bounces back. And that's what we think Morton is doing. And then you, after that, I think that there's kind of like an, like a, a forgotten area. It's like, okay, now that he's bounced back and looks, looks good. Like, should you cash in close to the full value because of those concerns from the beginning of the year? Like, you know, who knows if he's going to keep it up or is it going to be somewhere in the middle between the, the poor performance and the bounce back? You know, I think that's a, that's a good question too, but uh, I'll, I'll kick it to you with your thoughts first before uh, I go into it. Yeah, I mean, my my initial thoughts are to kind of follow the process, right? Make sure you're not just looking at kind of the surface line box score. I also like to read, you know, the Rotowire updates. It, it's good to know kind of what 90% of people are looking at when they assess that, which is typically the little write-up blurbs. Sometimes those are really informative. Other times... They'll completely bypass the fact that, you know, they might have had six Ks, but they only had 10 swing strikes or something like that. So I, I try to go in. I, I look at, 
you know, if there's been any velocity tweaks, any pitch mix changes that seem encouraging game over game, see if that narrative kind of aligns with the results. Um, another thing that I kind of brought up on, on the response to Sal, which I think is really important this time of year, I know, and this applies to head-to-head leagues primarily, but I guess it would also apply to, to Roto if you're trying to chase categories and everything. I know we're just coming up on All-Star break, but to me, it's still not too early to look at the home stretch of opponents. So I like to go look at like uh, a team's, you know, in the case of Morton, go look at the Braves' upcoming opponents. Not just, in, I mean, in July would be really important if you're scrambling to make the playoffs. But if you're in pole position and you really are expecting that you do make the playoffs, what do the August matchups look like? And kind of count out on your fingers who they're expected to to face. Because if you happen to run into a buzzsaw of matchups and you'd be surprised even teams that are in lighter divisions uh I just looked at like a Tristan McKenzie who got dropped in my league and I was like man this might be worth a waiver claim went out and looked at like his upcoming matchups and outside of two Tigers matchups the other six ones are what I would call like you know do not start normal matchups I mean and granted uh, if a pitcher is good enough he, he might be a guy you roll out against any opponent but I really like to do that just because the last thing you want is to see like at the Dodgers, at Coors for a guy that you really are like counting on in a crunch week. So those are a couple like tips and tricks I would like to do. Um, but I'll turn it over to you, Steve, on if you have, have thoughts on the broader topic or for Morton specifically. We can talk Morton too. He kind of fits the uh, second half bounce back theme too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Um, I think that process is spot on. Like I, I couldn't agree more with with how you how you would assess that and you know how to dig in but as far as more of like the overall should I trade this guy should I hold this guy it's like I I tend to think that like okay if you have like I'm sort of buying low on a guy like for Morton if you're holding him you're buying low on him without trading him right like you know I, I would want to target a guy like that because you theoretically can get him for cheaper than actually what he costs at draft day or what his ultimate value will be, right? Um, that's the sort of thing that, you know, I, I would try to do um, regardless whether it's a player on my team or not. But I, I think I like to apply that sort of philosophy to, okay, you know, I'm holding, uh, you know, Jonathan India in, in my home league, for instance, like, yeah, I, I could drop him or trade him for pennies on the dollar, or I could look and say, hey, you know, go through that process that you just described. Look at his plate discipline, his bat and ball metrics, um, you know, all that sort of stuff that we would do for hitters, not necessarily for pitchers, but uh, you know, just the just the, the 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 hitting categories that you would look at under, under the hood, essentially that we go through on the show week mm-hmm. in and week out. And decide whether you want to hold on to that and essentially buy low on the player. So I think you have to look at it like that. If you have an underperforming player, like, would you want to go trade for this guy if he wasn't on your team uh, because you think you can get him for cheaper? But then there's also the case like, okay, I now have Morton. Um, I made a few ads and 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 did did okay in pitching or made a different trade for pitching. Now Morton is looking like himself. Do you now have that excess value to go out and say, okay, maybe I could trade Morton or a different pitcher because I now have that excess? Like, 
always use those tools to your advantage from like, you know, the, the larger view picture. Like that's how I, w- I would view, view it. It's like, okay, if you're getting Morton and he's starting to bounce back and it looks like he has, and it looks like he's Morton of old, do I now have a, a strength that I can deal from to, to fill another hole? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And I know you talked about different tools that you can do to just go out or, you know, try to seek out other members in your league that have an extreme need that a guy like Morton could fill or, you know, to the, to the earlier point, it's like if another person in your league has a playoff spot locked up and you think Morton, you know, has the, he obviously has, has the upside to be what, like an SP2, SP3. If you're a little worried that in the near term, it might be wobbly. Maybe that's, that's an area you could deal as well. But yeah, it's interesting for Morton. I mean, his his past outings, like three starts ago and four starts ago, he had a whiff rate of 49% and 47%, which the league average being 25%, it's like, oh my gosh, like he's back, it's, it's shining. But really his last two starts, which were great on the surface, the whiff rate dropped to 32% and then down to 20% on his last outing. Now, I don't think that you want to like overreact to that. I mean, overall, he's... He's riding the ship. Um, you also need to look at opponents that he faced as well. Like his get right weeks were against the the Pirates and the Cubs, but then he turned around against the Giants and the and the Phillies and put up good starts as well. So um, it's all just you know food for thought with with Morton. But I think the the process is really what the question was about. So I don't know if you got anything else to to add on Morton. I could go either way, honestly, with that. You know, do do you sell or do you hold? I think it really is context. Yeah, I, I I think it would be more of a, a buy slash hold for me now at this point. Like even if you could get, especially if you can get, you know, you're not going to get the the fifty or sixty cents on the dollar that would have cost for more in, in May, but it still might cost eighty or ninety, which I would definitely be interested in. Um, or and you know, I think it works the other way too. If you now are okay on pitching and he's he's back, like you can get pretty much close to full value for Morton. So yeah, uh, could, could be good either way. Like you said, contact dependent. Love it, Sal. Thank you for writing in and always tuning into the show. And you guys can always hit us with questions on Twitter at wins above pod or email us wins above fantasy at gmail.com. Steve, let's get into some of the, uh, the second half bounce back analysis here. And let's start with one Max Muncy. As we record here Wednesday night, Muncy is, you know, coming into the season, he had one of the broadest ranges of uh, draft value in terms of min pick, max pick, because people didn't know what to do with the elbow. If you were to just kind of do the lazy analysis, you'd say, oh, it's really bothering him. So far, he's had a 158 batting average. A 319 OBP is always great at taking a walk, but just a 274 slug is really what's killing you there with, you know, an OPS that's not even sniffing what he usually does. That said, the plate discipline, which is a, a big part of Max Muncy, what's, what makes him great in points leagues, he's striking out 22% of the time, not bad. 19% walk rate is just elite. So that's a pretty good foundation and floor a, along with the fact that he's batting cleanup almost every night for the Dodgers. I think they've been putting him at the five spot um, in, in a few recent games, but a lot to evaluate with Muncie under the hood. And just curious, uh, your initial thoughts 
on Max Muncy? Do we think this will just be kind of a down year and he, he won't figure it out? Maybe the injury is kind of lingering and it will stay that way. Or do we think that he can kind of come out of that? Um, he's had, you know, an interesting little week in the past week. I think he's got a couple homers in his past 10 games. I think he hit one yesterday uh, with a double as well. So Muncy's uh, at the Rockies this week. Uh, it could be a get right series for him and he could just, you know, rise out of the, the prolonged slump he's been in. But what are your thoughts on Muncy? Um, yeah, I know it's lazy, but you got to wonder how much that elbow is bothering him. Like for sure. I, I, I was in on him on draft season. I think on both of my draft and holds, I think in our draft and hold that isn't doing too well. I, you know, remember taking a shot and being like, you know, if he's healthy, like it's, we're getting Max Muncy at a super, super discount. Um, and yeah. so far that discount hasn't proven to be, uh, fruitful, but you know, another lazy analysis thing, you know, if you go to a savant page and, you know, you click on the little percentile um, bars and, and, and heat maps, uh, if you click on the year, you could drop down and, you know, go to years past and, you know, you click on 2021, everything's bright and dark red and you click on 2022 and everything shoots all the way to the left and goes to the blue, uh, except for that chase rate and walk rate. And the barrel percentage is actually still pretty good, which is surprising considering that the exit velocity max exit velocity and hard his percentage just isn't there at all but that being said like i i think it, it could be a matter of him getting right and and you know uh feeling okay and that elbow will will you know prove to be something that he put he puts behind him uh, i'm trying to pull up his you know rolling graphs if you go to uh, i know scott Chu talked about this and it's one of his favorite tools if you go to fan graphs and the graph page and you click on uh by game and you just look at you know his rolling woba right um and you know you see like the peaks and valleys in 2021 2022 you know he has some you know downtrends that you know let our our close to as bad as this like you know Muncie is kind of like a streaky player but you know mm-hmm. there are some really really high peaks and what the problem is his downtrends this year have been where they are but the peaks have been just you know right around league average so he's hovering between league average and then this like unusable player uh as far as like his his rolling woba um so you know it, it's something to just keep an eye on uh you probably got to get more granular than that as far as like, you know, his hard hit percentage. And I'm just pulling that up and it's actually trending in the right direction, you know, about, you know, uh, in in the middle of May, his hard hit percentage was like well below 20% as far as like a 15 game rolling average. But since then it's been on the uptrend and it's back to, you know, max Muncie's level. So that's encouraging, you know, uh, that, that, that's really, the results are, deserved based on at least just hard hit percentage over the last few games. Uh, and that's where these, this rolling graph uh, tool can just be really, really useful to say, Hey, is he just running into a lucky stretch or is he actually hitting the ball harder over the last two weeks? Uh, and, and he really has been. Um, so I, I'm in on Muncie. I, I, I think that this means that he might be past that, that elbow injury and could be a great second half bounce back. Yeah, I think when you look at a guy coming off the injury and like you said, he he is somebody who's 
rolling charts tend to be up and down and up and down. That's going to be a theme for a lot of these guys. And it's easy to just kind of assign it to that. And I'm not saying that it has nothing to do with it. Of course, like something has clearly been off, but you don't want that to kind of sway your mentality of who this player is. Again, looking at some of the names last year when we did the similar show, Pete Alonzo, Goldie, like some of the, the name value of some of these guys, like, you know, bar the injury, Muncie is an elite, elite hitter. And, you know, the, the, the barrel rate has been encouraging so far where on the month over month splits, it was at a 14% in April, which is great. Uh, 6% in May where it came really down and that was the low point. And then it's been back up to a 14.6% in June. So barrels are, are there. He's seen the ball leave the yard a couple times recently. So yeah, I, I'm with you on buying a b- bounce back for Muncie. I don't know that um, he's going to, take the league by storm, but I do think from here on in, you could probably count on, you know, 15, 18 homers and uh, a decent average and terrific OBP and hitting in that lineup at, at cleanup. I think it's such a good buy low or if somebody did kind of move on from them, I think it's a, a smart ad as well in, in shallower league. So with you there on Muncie, kind of transitioning to another guy who is, perennially up and down on rolling charts and we've talked about him a ton so we don't need to spend loads of time on him but Joey Votto is such a tough one to pin down and I know this was uh this was my chalkboard guy bold prediction guy I think we have have had several shares and he's kind of an industry favorite as a sleeper this year but it's it's been so up and down Steve and now kind of as the dust is settling on a, a recent slump Votto is batting 213, a 333 OBP, similar to Muncie there, that you can always expect about a 100-point bump for his ability to take a walk, and then a 372 slug. His K rate has actually gone in a much better direction from April, 32% strikeout rate, 25% in May, all the way down to 17% in June. So he's cleaning up the plate discipline, and the hard hit rates have been improved since that disastrous April that was about as bad as it can get. But now it's like the power has kind of vanished and Votto's certainly no spring hen. So it it kind of begs the question less on the injury, more on just the age. And if he's, you know, what can we expect from Joey Votto? His roster ship is about half of what Muncie's is. So this is much more relevant for kind of the drop and on the wire discussion. But what are what are your thoughts on Votto here? Do you think there's just going to be some mediocrity and up and down and kind of a stream, or do you think he can do kind of what uh, something similar to what he did last year when he just set the league on fire in the second half? Uh, your thoughts on Votto, Steve? I, I, I don't know. My, my my gut tells me that there's some stretch like that in the second half. Uh, my head is telling me that this just might be uh, an off year or, or kind of the, at the end for Votto. Uh, I did just make this switch for him today after Rowdy Telez, uh hit his second home run, uh, so four in the last <laughs> that was days. That was going to be my comparison. Uh, or whatever, the last three games. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Telez has like, you know, whatever. He has like 15 homers this year. I've rostered him probably for two-thirds of the season, and I think I have like five of those homers. It's impressive how <laughs> few of that, how, how little of that production I actually have. So you know Votto's um, going to go on a And now Votto will probably go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. He has hit a few doubles uh, the last few days. I know he has one tonight. He had a few uh, on Sunday versus the Giants, and he's, he's hitting the ball hard. You know, uh, another, you know, nice... I think underutilized tool is the StatCast game logs on Servant. So if you go to game logs and then StatCast, you can see every single um, plate appearance and the result. And, you know, you can see the exit velocity, launch angle and distance. And then actually if it's more than two days old, there's a little video camera button that you can actually watch the play, the, the, the result, which is, which is really cool. Uh, and, and I think underutilized on Savant. So, you know, if you, you know, I'm just looking at it and, you know, spitballing, like he's hitting the ball harder, like a lot of like, you know, high nineties, uh, you know, uh, back, uh, earlier in, in the Dodgers series about a week ago, he had, uh, you know, four, four balls hit over a uh, hundred miles an hour. So there are some signs there. And I think, uh, it's just a matter of like, it's hard because especially when there's a slump like this after such a prolonged slump, right? It's like so easy. And I, I just did it. I dropped them. Like it, it's so easy because the, the, the year line doesn't cushion or make it look prettier than it, than it does when, you know, a guy struggled for all of April and, you know, just battled to get over the Mendoza line. Right. That makes it so much harder to hold on to a guy, which, you know, maybe uh, uh, that's not the smartest thing thing to do because just because you know uh, that's the nature of baseball there are streaks like this and there could be another one coming for Vado on the opposite end uh, and it looks like there might be with the way that he's hitting the ball recently and that plate discipline which is the most uh, encouraging thing to have his year-long strikeout rate back, back under 25 percent after it was like you know close to that 40 percent in April that's that's impressive yeah my thoughts on on Vado a couple quick tidbits is June June was June was bad on the surface, especially in like five by five leagues. I think any points league, you just have to hold on to Votto because he's such a cheat code when everything is firing on all cylinders that it's kind of worth it. And you've got a little cushion with a high floor, even when balls aren't leaving the park. But uh, June, while the surface numbers weren't very good, the barrel rate was definitely down a little bit. But he had a just a 6% soft hit rate, which is unheard of. The hard hit rate was was really close to where it was when he got hot in May um, at 48.5% hard hit rate in June, which is uh, fantastic, probably like 85, 90th percentile there. And just a 12% home run to fly ball rate on 38% of fly balls. So just seems like luck was not going in his favor. Um, He is a huge pole hitter, so that brings up some of the stuff Scott Chu talked about on our show last week that like, yeah, maybe be careful on like XBA and everything with somebody who pulls the ball that much. But he does, there are a lot of fly balls in there as well for Vado. So I do think the home runs are going to come around. I think you got to hold in a points league five by five. I would understand if you want to add for like a Telez. Um, but the, the last note is his uh, exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. Because of the fact that we were just talking about like the pull rate is so high, you kind of want to look at when he is getting under the ball and, and putting it in the air, what's the exit velocity? And right now it's 29th in the league throughout the whole season. And that's ahead of some names like Goldie, Mike Trout, Pete Alonso. So I still think 
there's some power that's going to surge through here for Votto, even though the, you know, the surface line doesn't look great with like the 213 average and the homers have, have slowed down. He's just got five on the season after we were really hoping he'd be 30, 35 homer type of range. So I think I'm a buy on, on Votto, um, but I'm a little biased there and I think uh, that might be seeping into it, but time will tell. What, what are your thoughts on a blanket statement, Steve, buy or, or sell a bounce back uh, yeah. where Votto's like a top, let's say 150 player rest of the season? Yeah, uh, I, I'm buying. Uh, I saw a tweet. I forget who it was. I wish I could remember so I can give it credit. But he's never hit below like 261 in a season. So, you know, uh, it, it's not going to be around 213. It might be 250, but, you know, uh, that'll probably come with – if he does get hot and, and, and the luck turns, like, you know, another 20 home runs uh, for the year. So salvageable. I, I think it'll be a salvageable buy. Uh, I don't think it'll be – Last year, or or Goldie uh, like bounce back, but I think he'll salvage his season. Um, which, for how bad it's gone, like if, if you do add him, there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of good things there. Let's talk about his teammate Jonathan India. India was a guy we liked at kind of the end of that second base tier before a cliff during draft season. Uh, then of course he was out for almost the first two months of the the season with the hand injury, and now he's back, um, and a little lackluster. But Indy is another guy who kind of has the peaks and valleys, and you know not the best plate discipline in the world. So you kind of expect that there might be some cold streaks, but it has been cold. Uh, batting two twenty seven, two eighty four OBP, a three thirty slug. A uh, couple homers, one steal, and 95 plate appearances. Uh, Penny, for your thoughts on Jonathan India, Steve. We liked him coming into the season. You think he'll play his way out of this? Or, or what are your thoughts under the hood for Jonathan India? Uh, yeah, I, I, really, I, I didn't realize how much I liked him until I realized that he's like on most of my teams. I guess I just loved him uh, where he was going around drafts. I know second base was, uh, you know, a little bit shallower and, you know, bought into some of the plate display skills. He, he walked 11.3% of the time. And I think that's, what's most concerning. He's only walking 3.2% of the time right now. Um, and a lot of that is the fact that he's been hurt for such a long time. Like he got hurt, went on the, had like a minimum stay on the IL, then came back, played three games and then was out with the same injury for like a month. So um, there really hasn't been, that sort of time to get in the groove because that those, you know, 86, whatever, no, 98 plate appearance he has have been broken up by two stints on the IL. So there really hasn't been an extended period of playing time. So I think it's more of just a matter of giving him a little bit more time. Um, I know he has two home runs in the last week. Um, maybe the walks will start to come. He isn't striking out too much. Uh, it's in line with what he was at last year at 23%. He was 22% last year. So Yeah, that's better uh, than I than I remembered. I think he started yeah. out striking out a lot more and then kind of cleaned it up in the second half. Yeah, and the barrel rate is, is basically cut in half from last year, so you'd like to see that to start to trend up. But I think it's just a matter of time, uh, you know, uh, to give him a little bit more of, of a look just because it's another one of those cases where he doesn't have that cushion to cover up a, a hot streak, a cold streak or, you know, getting his timing back, which is something that he needs to do after missing that long of a, t- uh, of a time frame. So um, 
I, I think it's a good buy. I think he probably has been dropped in a lot of leagues. Uh, maybe not that many just because it was such a high cost. But if it continues another week, uh, the cost might be minimal to free. So um, I think India just is, is a matter of time before he bounces back and you know provides a good average with decent pop and uh, maybe some steals along the way too. Who knows with the hamstring injury, maybe uh, – can temper your expectations on how many bases you'll actually steal, but uh, should be good average with decent pop. And you know, in that ballpark, uh, he should bat first. And you know, the Reds have been better than what they were in April, so there's that too. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to mention. His bat and leadoff is nice that at least he slots right in there. Uh, hey, maybe if Votto comes around, India will uh, follow suit, get some good counting stats there as well. Uh, Reds upcoming games and India did hit a, a homer a couple nights ago, three RBIs as well against the Cubs on a two hit game. Uh, upcoming series for the Reds is Braves, Mets, uh, then they get the Pirates, Ooh. then the Rays and the Yankees. So they got a little bit of a tricky yeah. Uh, yeah, start to July. Tough. So yeah. that maybe maybe more people will jump off board if uh, he doesn't turn it around there. But um, I agree. I think uh, on the the overall perspective. India showed enough there, and yeah, that the walk rate last year was uh, kind of overlooked that it was that high. So I think I think that's uh, why people I think that's why he was such a good target on draft there. Why his cost was so high because not only were those surface numbers there, and he popped you know twenty plus home runs with good average rookie of the year, but people saw that walk rate and were like, wow, you know, uh, it's impressive. So uh, I, I understand why people liked him and why they still do like them but maybe we'll just need some time to for it to bounce back to where it was love it we will talk about some players who are not cincinnati reds and some some big names as well as to get into some pitchers and talking about potential second half bounce backs for some of those guys first we are going to take a real quick ad break and we'll be right back Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, so Steve, not very often we get to talk about a first-rounder and spend some time here, but we got to hit on Mr. Juan Soto. I know we uh, kind of breezed over Soto last week with Scott Chu on the show. Uh, some tidbits in here because Scott spent some time on, on Soto as well, but it's been another, similar to last year, kind of a frustrating first half for Soto owners. Of course, you have to recalibrate and say this is uh, – a very high bar that he has set for himself. Just a 224 average has been the main issue. The OBP is fantastic at 378. If his average was anywhere near normal, it would be among the best OBPs in the league. 
the fourth 437 slug. You'll take it. He's got 14 homers, uh, five steals. I think is nice for Soto, but it's mainly the the 224 batting average, and it kind of calls into question: Do we need to look at Soto as not the greatest hitter in baseball, which has kind of been the crown he's had for the past couple of years, where where Mike Trout is kind of, you know, passed that baton on a little bit, but. You also don't want to overreact. I mean, it's Juan Soto. We might just be seeing a, kind of a prolonged cold streak for him. What are what are your thoughts on Soto? Feel free to, to take it any direction on uh, the stat cast numbers, the, the ground balls, anywhere you want to go with this one, Steve. Yeah, uh, I feel like we just had this conversation with him. Was he on this episode last year? He should have been if he wasn't uh, because I think people were panicking but it wasn't the batting average. It was like the lack of homers. If I remember, probably around this time last year, he had like seven or eight homers, something like that. Yeah. Uh, he's got 14 now, which is, you know, kind of basically what you would expect for, for Soto, you know, hit, from, from hit, the, hit anywhere between 30 and 40 home runs. Uh, and he's on pace to do that. But, you know, it, it's the average. So uh, I think Scott sort of nailed it on the head. It's, it's that average of exit velocity on grounders. So uh, I, I guess you know, the way to sort of that, that like Soto's ground ball percentage didn't really matter because he hit the ball so hard. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So like his, you know, above 50% ground ball rate uh, was a non-issue because he just smoked them. Right. Like they were finding holes. uh, And like Scott said, a good way to tank your batting average is to hit those ground balls slower. So it's, it's a better ground ball percentage. It's only 50% where the last two years he was close to 53 um, but if those aren't hit as hard, yeah, your BABIP is going to, is, is going to drop. And I don't know, uh, it, this is still seems like it's picking nits with like one of the greatest hitters in the world. And it's probably just a second, uh, 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 close to a half a season or a third of a season where he hits 225. Like that's going to happen. Like I would not be surprised if, you know, he hits 350 over the next, you know, third of a season. So, uh, just because he's Juan Soto, I know that's like lazy analysis, but if someone's concerned about this ground ball rate and then the average and the the weaker ground balls, I'm absolutely buying from from that owner within any concerns. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great point. I think you know Scott sort of diagnosed it, uh, but like Scott said, I, I think he mentioned it on the on the first pitcher on, on on our show, like. If we know about this stuff, like you bet, sure as I'll bet that Juan Soto knows right. about his, you know, the exit velocity on his ground balls and, and even more. So uh, I, I, I'd bet on that being corrected and corrected very quickly. So, uh, yeah, if I could get Juan Soto for 99 cents on the dollar, I'm doing it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm in on a Juan Soto bounce back. You don't see the air quotes I'm doing with my, my fingers, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And the past week, batting 353 on the average so it might already be happening but uh, over the past month batting just 200 from a batting average standpoint so yeah I, I think this is just Soto figuring it out and you know he's gonna find a way it's kind of like Goldie for that five-year stretch where it was like and Bryce Harper too where it, it might look a little different from season to season but he is going to put up top five offensive fantasy value so I would uh pay that for sure and double that in a points league with just a 14% strikeout rate and 19% walk rate. 
Um, so yeah, I think enough said. If anything, it's it's really exciting that the fly ball rate is up from where it's been the past two years. I think it's just a matter of him, uh, you know, and there was even an interview I was, I was checking out that Soto was talking about how he's, he sat on a few pitches that he shouldn't have. He's chased a little bit. So while he's still taking walks, I think it's, it's really just been kind of in a little bit of a funk on like identifying pitches. I don't think that's a skill, you know, dissolving or anything. He's still got one of the best eyes, and I think as long as he just picks the pitch to do damage on, we're going to keep seeing him, you know, basically hit 30 homers. And even though he's batting 224 right now, I would take the over on him finishing above like 280, which would be a huge second half for him. So, yep, I'm uh, I'm right there with you on Juan Soto. Uh, let's talk about Nelson Cruz kind of going down the list. Nice segues here. First of all, Steve, we got to wish Nelson Cruz a happy birthday. He'll be 42 years old tomorrow as this show airs so yeah i don't know if you got any words for your boy there on on uh you know uh, is this, he the this is the first this is this is the first year i haven't had nelson cruz in like five years so uh definitely a happy birthday wish from me for nelson cruz uh yeah for uh being a, a perennially undervalued slugger um even though he hasn't been that this year but Things are trending maybe back towards that way, which we'll get into in a second. Yeah, trending up. You know, the the clip is 244 average, 325 OBP, and a 382 slug. Just eight homers where you kind of chalk Nelson Cruz up for an automatic like 30. But that has definitely gotten better. I think he had just, uh, I want to say like two homers in the first month of the season. And he's kind of ramped up since then. Everyday cleanup hitter, so still in a... a Great spot in a not-so-great lineup. But uh, I think there's plenty to like here with Cruz. The plate discipline has not, you know, the when someone ages, you tend to see the strikeouts go up as they're, like, getting behind fastballs and stuff. Still just a 22% strikeout rate. Uh, 10.6% walk rate is really good. And some of the batted ball stuff looks good too, Steve. So I think this is one that might be kind of an easy call. you got to look past father time here with Cruz, but I think it's starting to appear this way. Even though the past two weeks he's batting just 149, it looks like the power is waking up, which is what really most people would be concerned about with Cruz so far. But what are your what are your thoughts in addition to that? Yeah, uh, I'm with you. Another one that uh, I basically agree. Um, you know, the hard hit's been in line. It's in line with, you know, years that he's been very very good so uh you know it, it's not that absolutely elite like it was even just last year but uh you know the, the the only thing that i would sort of push back and you know we kind of wrote it off right like he was pretty bad with um tampa in, in the second half last year after he got traded a lot of it had to do with the trop and how hard it is to hit there because the lights, I think he might have even been one to say that it was really hard to hit at home. Um, he just couldn't get used to it. So um, it's more than just this year that's been, been downturned, right? Like, Good point, uh, you know. yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, I, I, I wouldn't put, put it past Cruz to go on another stretch. And, and, you know, he might not be the 270-35 home run hitter, but I think he could be – a 250 25 to 28 homers which you know in, in this ball run environment is, is really good and you're you know you're not buying that because 
the, the numbers are are down and and haven't been as good. But you know the the max exit velocity is still good. Uh, the hard hit percentage, like you said, is still good. Uh, plate discipline is still there. It's not like he's like now all of a sudden striking out thirty percent of the time or anything like that. Um, which you know you would expect that to sort of happen to that age an, an aging slugger, right? Um, you know, I, I think that that's really, really a good sign, um, that those plate skills are still there for Cruz. So, uh, I, I think a hot stretch could be coming. Um, uh, and, and, you know, who knows, he could be, a a, a trade candidate too, to go to a, a better lineup, better ballpark too. Not that, uh, nationals ballpark isn't that bad of a hitter's environment, but, you know, uh, nor is hitting behind Juan Soto, but, you know, uh, it would be a lot better if he was on, like, you know, the Mets that score, like, the third most runs in the league or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that says it. And just, I, I guess I just don't see where, there, there's no real signs that, that I'm seeing. Like, with the hard hit still there, the K's not, like, inflating that much. His Babips looks normal at 300, but throughout the past four or five years, he's always ran, like, a really high Babip, so... I think we're going yeah, to see a little hits positive. Yeah, he the ball so hard, right? This yeah. Time, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's just like if all that stuff's happening. I mean, tonight he went two for three with a couple walks, so he reached four times. I think, uh, yeah, I think this is a by-low window for Cruz, and he's another guy who is kind of in that same range as like uh, India or Max Muncy, where in certain like 12-team leagues there's probably been, you know, some opportunities to pick him up off the wire. And if not, it could be a, a good kind of midseason trade target as well. So let's shift over to uh, a couple pitchers here to talk about, Steve. And got to go back to uh, your boy, Trevor Rogers. He's been another one that we've talked about throughout the season. And there's probably frustrated managers who are just scouring Twitter and looking for any analysis on Trevor Rogers. And you kind of feel like you see a glimpse and then he kind of blows up in like the fourth inning. I'm kind of thinking this is uh, this year's Luis Castillo, Steve. Uh, drafted in that, uh, you know, right around pick 100. Just a 3-6 and six record, a 5.86 ERA, a 163 whip. Plenty of people are jumping off the ship with Trevor Rogers. I know he's on the wire in my home league, and he's just sitting there. Now he's, he's just 57% rostered in Yahoo leagues. The K rate is is not there with just 20% strikeout rate. And the walks are up at 10.7, which sometimes you can stomach if the Ks are Freddie Peralta-esque, but they haven't been. So it's tough, man. I've, I've been doing some deep analysis as well. I watched a few innings of his start. Uh, he had the Mets back-to-back, and it was kind of positive compared to how bad he had been leading up to it, but he still ended up coughing up a lot of runs. But what do you think on Rodgers? Any light at the tunnel, or you think you're just staying away uh, given how volatile it's been for Rodgers? Uh, I'm actually a bit more encouraged over the last few results uh, and outings for Rodgers uh, than the surface results would show. Mm-hmm. Um, two starts ago, like you, like you have here in the notes, 24 swinging strikes. Uh, he, he more than held his own against the Mets, 12 Ks, three walks, and nine in the third inning. So, uh, you know, you'd like to see that in, in a stretch for a guy that, you know, you you buy for the strikeouts, right? Like that's what Rodgers was bringing 
last year. Yeah, um, we were looking for anything like yeah. a month and a half ago, right? Yeah, and, and and the biggest thing I think is is the fact that the the changeup just isn't what it was uh, last year. Um, the changeup last year had a negative six run value. This year it's negative two. Um, or sorry, no, the fastball isn't what it was. Uh, this last year, the fastball had a negative 15 run value this year it has positive seven. So for pitchers wow. that that's, that's bad. Um, it's got a 323 batting average against, um, just a, uh, a 600 slug. And, you know, last year it was a 222 batting average against with a 344 slug. Um, so it, it's still missing bats, but he's just not getting a case with it. It's the, the whiff percentage is, is right in line. It was 27% last year, 25% this year, but he got a 35, 30.5% K percentage and just a 21.4% K percentage this year. So he's like basically missing the put away. Like, right. That's where I'm just looking through the run value by pitch type chart. And as I'm going through it, he's just not able to put guys away with the four seamer like he was last year. So, um, that probably has to do with the fact that, you know, the changeup hasn't been as good. He hasn't had as good of a feel for it. Um, the slider's still been, still been good. So, um, you know, uh, that, that's, that's strange or, but mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense why the fastball is just totally, totally underperforming. And the fact that he's gotten some whiffs and it looks better over the last few starts, like, that could be what what the what makes it turn right. Like a guy that we'll talk about in, in a little bit, Giolito mentioned last year how he lost chain, feel for his changeup, like his best pitch. Like if Rogers gets that back and it looks like he might start to or makes that tweak, um, you know who knows if he's like tipping pitches or whatever uh, was battling through an injury or something. Like this could be the, the, the tide turning and I would grab him essentially in any league where he, he hit the wire. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think the bright spot, as we mentioned is against the Mets, just the, the whiff rate and the 12 K's and the nine in the third innings, the fastball that you mentioned, Steve, two starts ago when he had the high strikeout game against the Mets, the whiff rate on the fastball was 56%, which is yep. elite. So that's mm-hmm. what you want. And then it plummeted down to uh, 24%. But at least the changeup was getting whiffs um, last game. It just kind of unraveled a little bit. Um, he had like a clean three innings, and I was like ready to pounce because it was like, okay, great. You know, by his standards, a really good outing against the Mets, faces the same lineup, looked good through three innings, and then it was just kind of death by paper cuts. The the upside here is just if you if you look at the last three games the whiffs are up the walks are down and the hard hit rate has been better than league average so i think it's worth i think there's enough upside especially if you need pitching and you're really like shallow on like an sp4 sp5 if you're if your rotation is top heavy you got to take a gamble on rogers i think now's the time just because his upcoming opponents, he gets the Nationals. Yeah, I might skip the Angels. But then the Pirates and then the Phillies without Bryce Harper and Castellanos has been struggling. So I think just the ceiling is so high, whether it's tipping pitches or just a feel, like you're saying, it's it's potential to find gold in a way that you it's really hard to find when it comes to pitching at this point in the season. So I don't know that compared to the other ones, I have the confidence to say he's going to bounce back. But I think that 
the the ceiling. I continue to say, I know we've talked about it a couple times, but I think it's worth taking the gamble on to where if, I don't know that it should be as low as like a 55% rostered. I think his last two outings have shown enough for us to be like, maybe this is this year's Luis Castillo. And as disastrous as it looked last year, he, he righted the ship. Um, and I know we're a little bit past that point in the season, but I have a hard time thinking that you know, a pitcher of his age with the, the stuff that he has won't make it, you know, won't look better than it is, even if it ends up in kind of like a, you know, a four ERA with some bumpy starts here and there. But I don't know. Closing thoughts on, on Rogers from you. If you need a starting pitcher and, and you need to take a flyer for like someone that's really cheaper, essentially on your, you know, wire free. I would 100% add Trevor Rogers. I think I got him in TGFBI or on the wire, the on the wire league for like three bucks. Like it was uncontested. Like he was dropped three weeks, two weeks ago. I added him last week for three bucks. Like absolutely. I, I think it's worth it on like name value and like last year's results alone uh, for Rogers. So uh, the, the fact that he's been getting some more whiffs recently, I think is super encouraging and worth a cheap flyer in my opinion yeah and it could even be a good thing that he's pieced together different parts over his past two or three outings that you know maybe if the fastball and the change can all work together then you know it'll just click but it's wishful thinking uh let's talk about lucas giolito steve uh another guy you spent some time in the off season looking at it's been rough goings for giolito probably uh, you know, of any SP1 that stayed healthy, kind of the biggest head scratcher here with 69 innings, a 518 ERA, uh, 27% K rate, 9% walk rate. It's it's not disastrous there compared to that, that ERA, but it's certainly not what you signed up for. So do you see anything that makes you think Giolito will, will turn this around and kind of bounce back in a similar way that he did last year as well uh his his last start was encouraging uh, that looked like the giolito of old like his changeup was back like that was something that we talked about last year like he essentially did his season-long line of a 518 era through like the first you know five weeks i remember in you know mid-may or early may we were receiving like you know uh, what is this sp1 i bought like you know like people were panicking, right? Right. Uh, in the third round, like in, I, I got a five year in April, but you know, if you held it, ended up uh, pretty good. So, sure, this is a bit of a longer stretch, but I think it's just been worse starts, right? Like it, it wasn't this bad four weeks ago for Giolito. There's just been like you know a few seven and eight uh, run outings here that have really, really bombed the line. But there obviously are some concerns in the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, the walks are up. Um, the Ks are not what they were when it was elite, but it was still close to what it was last year. But in that second half, he really did, you know, bump up the K rate. So if there is that sort of second half bounce back like there was last year for Giolito, like, you know, it could end up with a 30% K rate because through this bad stretch, it's still what it was on the year on the whole year last year, if that makes any sense. So, um, you know, he said he lost a feel for the changeup before he said that happened, you know, last April. And it looked like it might've happened last few starts before this. 
And I think it might be back uh, after the last outing. You know, I I watched a lot of it, and he looked like the Lucas Giolito of old. I've put in a few offers for him in a few different places uh, to try and, quote-unquote, buy low on him. Um, But, you know, uh, I I don't think that—I think the window will rapidly close, and we'll look back at this and be like, hey, uh, yeah, funny, Lucas Giolito had a 519 ERA. Uh, at the end of the June, um, I, I know it was the Angels and they've been sort of struggling, but um, you know, six innings, six Ks, two runs is exactly what you want to see from 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 Giolito uh, with all those swings and misses. So, uh, and, and another note, it was Houston and Toronto that that touched him up uh, for eight and seven runs. That's a good point. Um, so, you know, really really good outings, and then uh, Toronto was the other six spot too. So. Uh, you know, not that Giolito's a matchup play, but like, other than that, it's been not amazing, but pretty good. So, um, I, I'm really in on Julius Giolito. I know it, it won't cost as, as as it won't come as easy to get him as like say a Trevor Rogers. It will cost you a lot more just because the name brand, the draft cost, and the fact that you know. Um, it's easier to believe in a guy like Lucas Giolito with this big of a track record, but uh, he would be a great, great buy low target for me if you need uh, need pitching. Yeah, real quick, just because we only we only got one name left on the list, but I want to see. I know uh, Nick was talking about how tricky it is to Nick Pollock to to place him in the the list on pitcher list right now. It looks like he's got him in tier six at SP thirty two. Um, same tier as names like Kyle Wright, Logan Gilbert, uh, even, yeah, deeper on that list, like Patrick Sandoval, Jordan Montgomery. I mean, I think you got to expect that he, he lands above that. Like, I, I don't know. Would, um, yeah. Give me Giolito over all those names. Like, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Morton is above him on the list. Like, would you? That, that, that's one for Sal. That's 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 closer, but I, I I'd still take Giolito. Um, that's more just like even in the preseason, right? You know, I had Giolito as a my SP ten and Morton as an SP eighteen, right? Like, I still think there's that difference between them. not the knock either. You know, not that's not a knock on Morton, right? It's more just I like Giolito more, younger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Um, you know, I, 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 I'd take a, a chalkboard bet that, you know, if Lucas Giolito finishes within the top 20, uh, starting pitchers at the end of the year, uh, on the list, right? Like, I think that he'll bounce back to that level. Um, I think it goes to show, like, despite these struggles and despite the fact that he's a 519 ERA, he's still, uh, you know, SP 30, right? On, on Nick's list, it's just because it is Lucas Giolito, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think he'll write the ship sooner rather than later. For sure. And maybe in terms of draft spot, a little bit closer to this year's Luis Castillo, although the uh, for the, sure. the Ks yes. are at least there. But, yeah, just the frustration and hair pulling on, on the runs and everything. So, no, nope, that's good discussion. Last, I think, uh, you know, we got to round out and hit on Nick Castellanos. This was a, another guy that, was drafted in, you know, first four rounds of leagues, around pick 50. And it just hasn't really been Castellanos that we've come to know. And really, we looked at him as kind of a boring, high-floor pick in a way. And that level of reliability has just not been there this season. So really, 
mundane with a, a 248 batting average and the real issue with a, a 381 slug OPS under 700 just seven homers so far for Castellanos the plate discipline isn't really the issue Steve 23.5 percent strikeout rate seven percent walk walk rate I think what's very weird about Castellanos' season is that his barrel rate is just eight percent which we always joke about that he was kind of the barrel king for a long time along with like a CJ Crone and everything. He had just a 4% barrel rate in the, this past month of June, which is really a low point in any, like any month of his career, save his rookie year. There's only been one other month, which coincidentally was June of 2019, where he had a 4% barrel rate. So not sure if he's just not seeing the ball, but the hard hits are down. Just calls into question again. Now Bryce Harper out of that lineup, what can we expect with Nick Castellanos? We're kind of grasping at straws here, but um, I, I know I mentioned on on the rundown, but the fact that it's really coming at the uh, against fastballs that he typically crushes this season, he just has not been able to do any damage on fastballs, and it goes back to that question of like the JD Martinez, like does this guy with his track record really just? wake up one day and forget how to hit fastballs in kind of the prime of his career. I don't know what to think about Nick Castellanos, but I know he's been a frustrating person to roster. Do we see a potential bounce back in the second half for him? Uh, I, I think so. I think this might be a bit of a new team, new con- big contract pressing a bit. Um, the 43.2% yeah. O-swing is the highest of his career. Um, by like three percentage points too. Um, it, the last few years, it's hovered around anywhere between thirty-eight and forty percent. Uh, this year at forty-three percent. Um, and then another thing, it just looks like he's been a bit unlucky too. Uh, the nine-point-one home to fly ball rate is, you know, again lowest of his career, going back to you know his rookie year. So uh, when he was in Detroit and like couldn't turn any of those barrels into home runs. Um, I, I think that it's 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 the combination of that you know pressing some bad luck then bad luck turns to more pressing. Um, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a dangerous cycle, um, and you know sometimes who knows? Uh, Cassianos does go on those runs. Like remember that run with the with the Cubs that he that he had. Um, oh, so he he has changed teams and gone on a run like that, right? So maybe it's just a matter of. Uh, getting acclimated, getting comfortable, who knows, maybe sometimes when an injury like that Harper injury and you're pressed, you know, you're then thrusted to be the best hitter, uh, you know, all around on the team, um, you know, you could take that ball and run with it a bit. That's a bit more, you know, meta than like any actual analysis, but it's it's strange, you know, um, to see him reaching. It just seems like he probably is pressing and, I think it might be a matter of time uh, to to figure out, and you know, like you said, it's not like he just doesn't know how to how to hit fastballs. I think think that'll that'll come, and we'll get a a a, a hot streak Nick Castellanos uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, dude, last year he had a twenty run value on the fastball. He absolutely demolished them. Like you know, uh, that's 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 gonna come. Like I, I think it'll come soon. Uh, for Castellano. So uh, I think it's a buy. He's probably pressing a bit and should stop that relatively soon. Yeah, just a 674 OPS last season, 938. 
shortened season, which was also really bad and, and kind of a, a bad luck season, but still a 784 OPS. Uh, 2019 and 862 OPS. So, like, we've seen it long enough. He's still just 30 years old. This one might be among the entire list, maybe one of the savviest buy lows just because there's not kind of a recent stretch. I mean, someone's probably going to his stat cast page and seeing that it's not looking normal at all. The ground balls are up a little bit, but. I think I'm with you that the fact that it's coming from the fastball seems, and, and like you said, we talked about it with Lindor last season in the first half with just like pressing, new team, can get in your head. It can last a little bit longer than a typical slump. Um, he, he tends to, to go up and down in general when you look at, um, you know, his like breakdown rolling charts. So I think um, I think this is a good buy low, and it's probably an opportunity where the manager would actually play ball with like trade talk so um i dig it man uh any other closing thoughts on on castellanos or on the rundown we made it through uh the list here yeah yeah i love it uh castellanos does chase a lot just in general too you know i'm just looking at the slider pages now like he's always in the bottom percentile league so for him to, to chase even more that's that's obviously a bit more concerning um but yeah i i i don't know i think that over time, uh, you know, he'll he'll come into a groove and, and get used to his time in Philadelphia and, and stop pressing, you know. Uh, he is running, like, he has three stolen bases, which is strange, right? Like, uh, you, you, you don't, right? He ha- he's, Ian Kahn brought that up on the, on the Under the Radar show uh, for the Athletic. Like, if a guy's running, that means they're confident and, like, you know, not afraid to make a mistake, which I think it was a really cool point and a great way to think of things. So I, I, I don't know. Maybe he'll just need to get a little bit more comfortable uh, in, in his skin in Philadelphia um, and, and get into a groove here. But yeah, hopefully hopefully it's as good a, as good of a hit as, as last year. We, we talk about a lot of good names. Like a lot of those guys did bounce back. Uh, maybe, maybe we can make it two for two in successful shows and identifying these bounce back candidates. Yeah, it's going to have to be one uh, end of the season. We'll do a little chalkboard recap episode and and maybe come back to some of these ones that are a little bit more the crystal ball and see how some of these panned out. Uh, Because, yeah, again, like last year, you know, there's there's the Goldie and Castillos and and, uh, Alonzo, but there's also Kenta Maeda and Keston Hira. So time will tell, man. It's fun fun part of the season here we got all-star break coming up we'll have to do kind of a big picture mid-season recap but uh till then i think we're just enjoying baseball steve this was this was uh fun as always and yeah looking forward to uh what's next joey vado two doubles tonight so uh there you go uh, uh, uh quite a few extra base hits in the last few games all right vado Go get on board. Although they got the buzzsaw of uh, pitching opponents coming up, minus a, a couple of Pirates games. But yeah, love it. Thanks, everybody. Uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at WindsAbovePod. I'm at Van underscore verified, and Steve is at Stav8818. Episode 62, assessing the second half bounce backs. Uh, Steve had a blast, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for listening, guys. Later. <laughs>